Welcome to Elevate Podcast, the fastest way to elevate your life. Brought to you by elevatebooks.com. Hey there, thanks for tuning in. My name is Benjamin J. Harvey, the Difference Maker Mentor. And today I'm proud to bring you the very first ever podcast in this exciting new series. Now each week we're going to be hearing from international best-selling authors from around the world as they share with you inspiring stories of their own personal journey that they took that allowed them to elevate their lives and the lives of others. Now I'm also going to be getting them to share their unique strategies with you that they use to make a huge difference in the world while becoming abundant in all areas of their life. And let's face it, who doesn't want to be abundant in every area of their life? Now during this series we have a bunch of surprise gifts for you and plenty of free resources that the authors will be giving away throughout the interviews. So make sure you do listen out for those free resources and also those surprise gifts. So let's jump straight into our very first episode. Today we're honored to have international best-selling author, human behavioral specialist, and the teacher from the hit movie, The Secret, Dr. John Demartini. Now for those of you who have not met Dr. Demartini before, he was told at the ripe old age of seven by his first grade teacher that he would never read, write, communicate, or go very far in life. Now since that day, he has had the pleasure of teaching around the world for well over four decades. He has written over 40 international best-selling books, and those books have been translated in 29 different languages. His message through things like the media, through radio, through television, his message has reached over 3 billion people. That's a billion, 3 billion people. And he's actually consulted in virtually every sector of life, from government, financial, education, travel, and the list really does go on and on. He's also traveled over 60 million miles. Could you imagine the frequent flyer points that he's got from doing that much travel? And he has also read over 29,500 texts. That's over 29,500 texts. So to say that this gentleman is a polymath is an understatement. And so please welcome to the show, Dr. Martini. how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for this opportunity to chat. It's a real pleasure. I know that there's a lot of listeners out there that have definitely been exposed to your work before, and I know a lot of them have uh, potentially picked up uh, one, if not many, of the different books you've read, or they've seen you in a range of different uh, movies, and definitely uh, you've had an incredible impact around the world, touching the lives of billions of people. And for those listeners out there who haven't been exposed yet, just give us a little bit of a breakdown. Why are you so inspired to go out there and help people elevate their life and really just create the, the incredible changes that they do? <laughs> you know, I guess that goes back all the way back to my teenage years uh, where I was in Hawaii, which I was there last week, or just a few days ago, actually. Uh, in 1972, I nearly died and in the, I, I was found in a tent, nearly dead, and a lovely lady found me, took me to a little health food store, which led me to go to a little class in recovery to meet a gentleman named Paul C. Bragg, who one night, one hour, with this one message, uh, this one man inspired me to believe that I could overcome my learning problems and my speaking problems, because I had speech problems, and um, that I could do more with my life than what I was doing at the time. And that night, I, I was so inspired by that. I literally got a vision of what I wanted to do, and I wanted to overcome my learning problems and 
learn how to read and be intelligent and travel the world and teach. And from that day, that evening, uh, which is 44-plus years ago, uh, I haven't been on uh, anything else uh, but that. That's That's been my focus. I, I, I can't wait to get up in the morning and do just that, research, write, travel, and teach. So I've, I've just been consistently focusing on that since 1972. So do you think that everybody out there has a vision? And, and if they do, what do you suggest is the best way of them identifying what that is so they can have that awakening that, that's similar to, I guess, what happened in your life? Well, everybody has a different way of kind of awakening it, but each individual, uh, as you know, lives by a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most important to least important in their lives. And the moment they set a goal that is truly aligned and congruent with what they value most, their highest priority, they wake up the executive center in the brain, the prefrontal cortex, the media prefrontal cortex, uh, the forebrain, which when blood supply, oxygen, and glucose goes to that area of the brain, when we sit and, and organize our life according to priority, uh, we see a vision. We see strategies on how to live it. We have a desire to execute it, and we have self-governance and discipline to fulfill it. And so everybody has the capacity to wake that up. Mine was spontaneous. I don't think it's because he had that intention exactly or I that I came in with some genius idea it just happened to happen for me. I, I've been on a mission to try to find out how does that occur for people, how to wake that up. And so finding out what people value most, starting to orchestrate and structure their life uh, around that priority uh, liberates them from the distractions and injunctions of other people and give them permission, in a sense, to go out and do something extraordinary. And it wakens that purpose, that vision, that mission, that message that they have for the world. So congruency with highest value is the key to awaken that. And we all have it. We all have an emergent leader sitting inside us, a great genius inside us, and it's just waiting for us to get congruent and authentic with what our real intentions are. And so people who are out there and they're thinking, all right, so I want to set my goals in accordance with my highest priorities, and I want to awaken this executive center – uh, what you're saying, so in, in your experience with people, when you see them align to their highest priorities, is that executive center, is it ready to go? Does it need uh, to be set up? Does it need to be, I guess for want of a better phrase, does it need to be myelinated or is it already, uh, or is it already ready? Is it, is it waiting laying dormant in everybody? Or once it's awakened, it's, it's, do we have to refine it? It's sitting dormant. It's waiting. Uh, I had a young boy who was 15 years old. Uh, last night at my my program that I did here in Chicago. And he was just kind of moping around, and his mother was there frustrated by him because he's just kind of moping. He's not driven, she thinks. And um, she's imposing artificial projected values from herself, her partner, and what society is expecting him to do. And... I just asked him a simple question. What is it you do every single day that nobody ever has to remind you to do that you love doing and you get up and do it and you can't wait to do it? And he, he looked at me and instead of moping, he just looked at me and he had this smile in his eyes. He looked over at his mother as if, it, does she need to listen to me? <laughs> and I said, uh, well, she doesn't have to, but what, what's, what is it you do every single day that you love doing? He said, cook. I said, cook? He goes, 
I love cooking. And his mother looked at me all of a sudden. She heard it. And she says, I'm an amazing cook, but I'm not allowed to do it. But I do it every day. But I'm not, it's, it's not, I'm supposed to be doing this other schooling. I just want to be one of the greatest chefs on the planet. And I turned to her. I said, are you aware of this? She goes, well, I know he loves cooking, but I know he needs to do school because he needs to know how to do business. He needs to do this and this and this. I said, he wants to be a great cook. And she goes, well, is that okay? I said, of course it's okay. I just got through spending time with Alan Wong, who's a billionaire uh, in Hawaii, who's one of the greatest chefs on the planet. And I told him, I said, I will personally make a connection with you to get with Alan Wong so you can get a, a story from this guy about how he became one of the greatest chefs in the world because he started when he was young, the same as you. And this guy lit up and was so inspired. His energy just doubled, tripled on the spot. He said, if I could just be the what I really want to be, the chef, and not have to do this other stuff, I said, well, wait a minute now. If you take classes and you can link them to how you're going to be a great chef, we can electrify you and do incredible well in school. But if you know you want to be a chef, then let's get on with it. Let's start now. Be one of the greatest chefs by the time you're 20. And he just about, he gave me a hug. You can almost see him just electrify. It's inside everyone, but we don't give ourselves permission. The same thing happened in Brisbane, Australia one time when a man came up to me and he says, my son, he just got kicked out of the third school in the last six months. He's not good enough for school. He's stupid. He's an idiot. You know, what do I do to revamp him and straighten him out? I went over to the kid. I said, what do you love doing? He says, cars. I said, I said do you fill your space with cars? He goes, I got cars all over my room, cars and, and model cars and pictures of cars and magazines of cars. I said, and, and do you think about cars all the time and you visualize cars? He says, I know everything about cars. Well, anyway, that kid, I talked his parents into allowing him to go and get a job part-time at a car dealer. He was, he was 14. And to actually go and learn about cars, work with cars and everything else, he's going to be a multimillionaire before he's 20 dealing with cars. So everybody inside has something that inspires them. And many people around them think you should be doing something else to fit into society. But finding that one thing, that true inspiration that's, uh, that's calling from within inside for people and giving themselves permission to pursue that and link everything they need to learn in life to that will electrify that executive center and wake up vision and genius and, and drive and self-governance. Master. So what do you think is the key then? Because a lot of people aren't giving themselves permission. A lot of people are walking around saying, I don't know what I love and all this other rubbish that they, get, that they say. What is it that, that you believe is the key to a human being awakening and saying, I'm going to give myself permission? Well, the first thing to do is to actually look carefully at what your life demonstrates is valuable to you. Uh, I've had a, a woman that was in London who... Uh, was in my breakthrough experience program. And, you know, if you've been to that, you know what that's like. And, and, and she was saying, well, I, you know, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And she was about 34, 35, 36 maybe. And I said, what, what does your life demonstrate? What do you do every single day that nobody has to remind you to do that you love doing? She said, well, I love spending time with my kids. I said, well, do you, do your, is your life dedicated to your kids? She goes, yes, but that's not good enough. I should be running a business. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. All these imperative languages from the injunctions from outer influences were indoctrinating her about how she should be. And I said, well, you know, 
Rose Kennedy, her, her mission statement was that I dedicate my life to raising a family of world leaders. Are you sure that you don't want to raise a, a magnificent family? And she looked at me with tears coming out of her eyes, and she said, that's all I've ever wanted to do. That's all I've ever wanted to do. I said, well, then give yourself permission to do it today, right now. That's it. You're going to raise an amazing family. And right on the spot, she just cried. She gave me a hug, and she looked at me, and she said, that's all I've wanted to do. I said, don't let the world on the outside do it. Don't subordinate to the influences of others. Be true to yourself. And if that's what you want to do, then be great at it. Be the greatest and number one at doing that. And don't sit there and subordinate and live in the shadows of other people. I said on the secret, when the voice and the vision on the inside is louder than all opinions on the outside, you begin to master your life. She woke it up, just like the boys. They woke it up. So it's sitting dormant inside all of us, and it's because we're subordinating to so many outside influences. Kohlberg, the psychologist, said that we subordinate to individual authorities, mothers, fathers, preachers, teachers. We subordinate to collective authorities, peer groups, and and, uh, and industries, etc., and we don't give ourselves permission to transcend those influences and stand unique in our own conviction to our own calling and values and go out and do something extraordinary on the planet Earth. We want to make a difference, but how are we going to make a difference trying to be second? Why not be number one at being ourselves? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, I mean, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people all over the world that have experienced your truly revolutionary program, the Breakthrough Experience, which for the listeners out there, if you haven't been to this program, uh, I suggest you drop, drop everything you're doing and, and go along to it. Um, certainly on your website, Dr. D. Martini, that's D-R-D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I, drdmartini.com, you've got this incredible free resource here where people can just uh, work out and determine what their values are. So the listeners here that want to really awaken that executive center of the brain, they can actually do it for free on your website, which is really a phenomenal thing. I guess I want to find out how much do you think things like shame and guilt and beliefs and, and whatnot, how much do all of this play a role in your ability to give yourself permission? Well, the second you set a goal that is is aligned or congruent with your highest value, you increase the probability of, of, of walking your talk and achieving your aim. The moment you do, your belief in yourself and self-worth and confidence goes skyrocketing. And the second you try to live somebody else's values, you have a cross current, and you basically have this feeling like what I really would love to do, I have to suppress. I'm trying to be somebody I'm not. And then what happens is you have this internal dialogue that goes, you know, you get angry and aggressive towards yourself. You blame and feel like you're betraying yourself. You criticize and impound yourself. You feel despondent and despaired. You feel that you want to exit and escape your life, and you feel frustrated and grouchy. And those A, B, C, D, E, F, Gs of negativity are compensations for incongruency of action. But by prioritizing our life and filling our day with high-priority actions that truly mean something to us, our life doesn't fill up with distractions. We are more capable of expanding our space and time horizons and giving ourselves permission to do more extraordinary things. And we basically have more momentum, and we make incremental accelerated growth in our accomplishments. So the, the prioritization of life and the living by true authenticity is, is the secret of vitality and secret of vision and waking up genius and, and achievement and wealth and all kinds of things. All of our life unfolds if we just allow ourselves to know what that value is and stick to it. Because yeah, a lot of people often speak about belief systems, but I know your take totally different. So could we fairly, would it be fair to say that if you've got limiting beliefs or 
beliefs inside your mind that are holding you back, they're actually, I know you use the phrase feedback. Is that the feedback to let you know that you're actually off path? That's exactly what it is. I, 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 you know, the entire positive thinking movement has, in a sense, dismayed people and misled people into thinking you're supposed to be up, never down, positive, never negative, and one-sided. It was the Buddha that said the desire for that which is unavailable and the desire to avoid that's un- what's unavoidable is a source of human suffering. So it's like trying to get a one-sided magnet. Life has both sides, and embracing both sides as feedback to guide us to our mission is the key. And so, yes, whenever we have those A, B, C, D, E's, G's of negativity, all of those are symptoms, physiological symptoms, that are giving us a feedback and reminding us that we're setting a goal that's a fantasy and not reality. We're setting a delusion for our life instead of what's in, inspiring to our life. And so it's just a feedback. And instead of trying to escape it and get rid of it and cancel all that negativity out, learn from it and use it to guide real goals in real time that are really meaningful, that have real strategies. When you do, you automatically excel and achieve. So for the people out there who are really wanting to take the the next step, Apart from doing your values determination process on drdmartini.com, the website there, what other, what's a quick win they could get on the board? So I'm sitting at home right now, I'm listening to this podcast, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what, I want to take charge, I want to do something. Uh, what else can I do? What, what's something I can start doing, some behaviors or practices or daily routines? What, what do you recommend to people? Well, you know, I learned something from Mary Kay of Mary Kay Cosmetics about 30 years ago when I was speaking to her group of 4,500 women in the Anatole Hotel Complex and Convention Center in Dallas. And I went up to Mary Kay after my presentation, and I, I asked her a simple question. You know, what advice can you give a young aspiring speaker who wants to travel the world and share his message with millions of people? And she said, every day, write down the six or seven highest priority action steps you can do that day that is aligned with your highest value and your mission and your dream, and uh, then and make sure that they're only daily actions, things that can get done that day, not gold overrunning projects that take days or weeks or months that you're overwhelmed by, but just daily baby set actions every day. Because I would say piggy banks become biggie banks, and little actions take, make big dreams. And I did that. I wrote them on index cards, and I documented what I was what would be the highest priority actions I could do today to move me one step closer to fulfill my dream? And I did that every day and kept a record of each thing that I wrote. And then I later went back and inventoried them and found out what was the highest priority, most frequent answers on that list after a two-year collection. And I basically wrote down and found out what the highest priorities of the highest priorities of the highest priorities were. And for me, it was research, right, travel, teak. So then I made a commitment to delegate everything else off my plate. Because you can't live an inspired life unless you're serving people, making an income enough to be able to delegate all lower priority things that weigh you down. You have to give yourself permission to go on and do the highest priority things and liberate yourself from the things that need to be done that are lower priority. And that means you're, de- you're dedicated to serving people that earn an income so you can afford to delegate. It's only through delegation we can live an inspired life. Otherwise, we're having to do everything and weigh ourselves down with things that get us nowhere. Now, part of the um, book series that you've written forwards for, one of the series was actually around health and, and elevating your health. And so I know that you have, in my opinion, the most in-depth knowledge around the concepts of pretty much all areas of life. So when it comes to health, and I know we're going on a, on a bit of a, a tangent here, 
But with health, I, I know that the mind and the body has a direct connection to each other. And for people out there who are going through uh, issues in their body, for example, uh, what, what are some strategies that you often advise people if they wanted to elevate their health or um, get themselves into a more congruent space um, physically? What, what are some tips? So we've got some strategies around getting our highest priorities now, which is great. We've got some strategies around getting our values clear. But what about if I, if I, if I had something wrong with my health? What, what do you recommend around that? Well, the brain is the master governor and controller. The glial cells and neurons in the brain are running the show, running your entire physiology. Through the, through the hypothalamus and autonomics, they run physiology. And they run all the epigenetics, so gene expression and protein manufacturing in the body. And so any time, the brain is, a, is the highest value-seeking and fulfilling organ. And any symptom that's being created by the body is actually a feedback to try to guide us to live authentically. And the moment we're doing that, we're grateful and we feel love for our life, which is the greatest healer. So anytime you perceive environments around you in a more supportive than challenging or more challenging than supportive nature and you have an imbalanced perspective, your autonomic nervous system will create cellular physiology, excesses and deficiencies that will create symptoms. Every symptom is a combination of cell behavior that's too much or too little of activity. And those are nothing but feedbacks to your conscious mind to let you know that you have an imbalanced perspective. And it's when you live by your highest value that you have the most resilient adaptability and objective balanced perspective. So it's trying to get you back to your highest value, and the symptoms, if interpreted properly, will lead you back to wellness. And what's happening is we're, we're living in an era of medicine that is basically hedonistic. We want to get rid of all symptoms and get rid of all pain and only feel good. And this has its drawbacks and actually robs people of accountability and robs them of an insight that their physiology is offering them. Imagine if you were to go out and eat a big steak, have a cheeseburger, have cheese uh, omelet, then go out and eat a bunch of spaghetti and then a cheesecake and then go out and finish it off with a bag of prunes or something. And you wake up with a bellyache. You wake up with a bellyache, snotty nose, gas, bloat, pants, diarrhea, and a headache and indigestion and a cramps. And if you were to go to the medical doctor, he'd say, well, you've got, you need an antiacid, you need an antihistamine, you need an anti-flatulent, you need an anti-poop uh, uh, medicine, you need a, an anti-pain medicine. And, and, and if you go to a naturopath or a chiropractor, they'd say, well, you pigged out. And your symptoms are part of wellness to try to wake you up to see that your body is trying to get you back to eat wisely. And you're exaggerating what you're capable of eating. So the symptoms are... are illness under a medical model and wellness under a different person's model. And learning how to interpret the body is something we've lost sight of. Some animals do a better job than we do because we've been indoctrinated by getting rid of symptoms and we think that's health. But symptoms could be a sign of health. And learning how to use them wisely to our advantage is the wisest thing we can do because otherwise we're basically lost sight of our physiology and our body's trying to help us. It's not the illness is attacking us. The illness is guiding us. So it's really just a, a great big feedback system by the sounds of it. Now, you mentioned glial cells there, and for the listeners out there, if you, if you kind of get, want to get a basic understanding of that, we, we, we could say that the glial cells provide a substance that insulates uh, the uh, axons on nerves in order for them to fire more uh, effectively with a greater level of precision. For, and I'm sort of numbing it down a bit there. But, John, is it fair to say that glial cells do, in fact, produce a higher amount of myelin when people connect with their vision 
And do they actually produce more when people are aligned to their values? Is there research into, into that that says those who live true to their highest values actually activate those oligodendrocytes and those Schwann cells uh, and produce a, a more rapid production of the substance that they need? Is there any, any theory well, to that? Oh, there's plenty of information on that. What's interesting is that glial cells respond like radio receivers and broadcasters to our attentions and our intentions. And whatever's highest on our value is what we grab attention in our environment mostly of. We have a selective biased attention and what we intend, a selective biased intention. Because when we're doing something that's high on our values, we have discipline, reliability, and focus. We're highly aware of our environment and active in the environment. And the glial cells do more than myelinate. They're involved in immune function. They actually, when, whenever you're doing something that you feel is fulfilling your highest value, whatever sensory or motor nerve that's actually doing that or perceiving that, the glial cells will myelinate, they'll bring nutrients to, and they'll prune away through apoptosis, they'll prune away every other cell that's not being used effectively to maximize glucose and oxygen usage in the brain. So they're designed to remodel the brain or neuroplasticity to maximize the effect to fulfill the telos, the highest value that we have in our life. So the glial cells are responding to our intentions and attentions to fulfill our life. And our brain is remodeling itself constantly according to our perceptions. And our bones are doing the same and our muscles are doing the same. Everything is remodeling itself to try to maximize our fulfillment in life. But we've lost sight of this. We are not knowing how to use our physiology and our entire, as I said, the medical model is missing out on this great wisdom. And Claude Bernard talked about the wisdom of the body, and Walter Cannon, both of them, understood this. We've lost sight of it somehow because people want an immediate gratifying fix, and they're overriding the wisdom. And then it's just like with economics. The person who's methodical and knows intrinsic value investments and buys it over long periods of time methodically with strategies gets wealthy. The people wanting immediate gratification, they gamble and they speculate, and they rise and they fall. So it's the same thing in physiology. So I, I know that uh, uh, a type of glial cell, they have oligodendra glia, and I know that the, the Greek origin of that is few tree glue. So I guess it's what you're saying, that what you focus on, what you intend, what you place your intention on, you, you, in some way you apply glue to that and you stick to that, and as a result of that you're able to act in accordance with it and your actions become easier. So is it kind of like a bonding that takes place, is it? Is this what well, like you bond with things people... or...? The original discoverer of the glia uh, believed that they were just connected cells that, that held the neurons together. That was the original concept. That's why they called them glia. It's not that they glue. They're way, way more important than gl just gluing the neurons. What's interesting, the reason why they call oligo, which means few, and dendrodite, dendrocytes, because it, dendra means uh, branches like a tree. Dendritic means tree-like. And what happens is when you have a branch that's leading towards the light, the branch gets stronger. And when you get branches that lead towards the darkness or the things that's low on your values, the branches die out. The, the, the dendritic component is like a branch of tree. If, you, if it's able to fulfill its highest value, it strengthens. If it doesn't, it decays. So we're constantly modeling to maximize the fulfillment of our life. But what happens is we create cross currents and we subordinate to the influence of others and confuse what's important to us with what we should and ought to and supposed to and got to and have to and must from other injunctions instead of living by what's inspiring to us that we love and we desire to do in life. And that's what allows the glial cells to myelinate the nerves and allow us to maximize our potential. 
So on some level, we've got to... But you used the word light there, which I found quite a fascinating uh, use of that word. So I guess is each and every one of us striving to get closer to our own inherent light. And as we, we reach up for that, we get stronger and more effective at what we do and more efficient. Is, is that kind of what's going on internally? That's exactly the metaphor. We, we found out that there's... Uh what they call memories and anti-memories inside the brain. This showed up in Neuron Magazine back in March 20th last year. And uh, even though in the breakthrough experience I've been teaching that for years, they finally confirmed it. And what they found out is the brain is, is storing uh, all of our perceptions and the anti-perceptions in order to balance out the chemistry and the electricity in the brain. And once they're balanced, there's an aha, an illumination. It, literally a light goes off. And there's photons that go on between the cells. So there is an illumination and enlightenment in the brain. So the, the, the idea of the mystics uh, concerning enlightenment actually has meaning today in brain physiology. Because a lot of people uh, from certain walks of life will often um, say phrases like, you are the light. And I know that people who go to your breakthrough experience, many of them comment on going through a process and going through the Demartini method and at a certain point in that method, they actually experience light. I mean, the entire room, it, 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 this is beyond metaphysical what they're having. I mean, this is, this is really just an incredible moment uh, that, that you can't even put into words. So w when people experience that phenomena of becoming the light as a result of using the Demartini method, from a science perspective, what is actually happening? Like, what, where, what is this light? Well, there, Immanuel Kant, the uh, philosopher, believed that there were two aspects to the mind. There was the imminent mind, which is inseparable from the animal behavioral mind that we all have, that is reflexive in nature, and that deals with contrast and judgments and polarities. And so when we have, and it divides our, our full consciousness into the conscious and unconscious, and we see things as we bias things instead of seeing things that's actually there. And then when we actually have a balanced mind, and we, have, we access what he called the transcendental mind, the, the reflective mind, not reflexive, but reflective mind. That is one that is reflected where it realizes that the conscious and unconscious are seen simultaneously, and there's an enlightened moment when you realize nothing's missing in your awareness. And this transcendental mind uh, is something that is an experience. I mean, I've been teaching it and sharing it and breakthrough for all these years, for decades now. And uh, when the people have that experience, they, the room disappears. Uh, the, the, the person that they feel love and appreciation for shows up in front of them. And it, and it is something mystical for them. They don't know how to describe it. But this repeatedly happens every weekend when I do the breakthrough experience. And so we have access to this transcendental mind. And this transcendental mind has a wisdom way greater than our reflective mind, the one that just avoids pain and seeks pleasure all day long, our animal mind. So this is something that's duplicatable and reproducible, and I can demonstrate it and show it, and I've shared it with physicists, I've shared it with psychologists, and they're fascinated by the impact that this has on people's behavior. It literally liberates them from emotional bondage and sets them free to get on with something that's in their executive center that's meaningful. You know, I'm very great. I'm I'm actually incredibly blessed and feel very grateful because you have in fact uh, shared that with me as well, and and it's been life changing. Uh, when I went through the process, I've done it multiple times. There, there, there's one thing that you did mention, and, and we we'll, I know that we we've got a bit of time here that we need to wrap it up soon. So, uh, just that last thing you mentioned about photons uh, between the neurons. 
So those photons, I mean, they're particles of light. Would that be a fair statement? And and if it is... Yeah, a photon means that, exactly, particle of light. The DNA, there's a Nobel Prize winner that just did some research that is fascinating. I I just got to share this. This is mind-blowing research. They found that they took DNA and they put it in a water, and what happened is then they removed the DNA from the water, and the water around the DNA they found was reorganized based on the DNA shapes. And then what happened is they, they took the DNA subcomponents, the molecules that make up the DNA, put it back in the water, and the water molecules helped rearrange the DNA. And they found out that the water molecule, the, the DNA molecules that were forming were connecting by photons from one portion of the DNA molecule to the other to let that part of the DNA know what's going on. So there was some sort of an intelligent information being communicated by photon uh, release, and there's some sort of connection between water. Now, this Nobel Prize winner, who was the one that discovered HIV virus and got his Nobel Prize for it, um, is speculating that there may be inherently in the universe a resonant wave function that's actually trying to create life. This is amazing uh, insights that's coming about right now in biology. They may have found some of the solution to how biological systems emerged. So there is a relationship between water and light that's giving rise to life that uh, we're going to explore over the next decades until this is probably figured out. So based on that research, I guess you could say that we're getting closer now more so than ever before to realize that, that within light is an organizing intelligence. And when you combine that organizing intelligence with a substance as pure as water, we start to see some real miracles that start to, to transpire. Is that, is that what the beginning of this is all about? Well, what we would have called miracles in the past, we call natural laws today. Because when we don't understand it, we'll call them miraculous or transcendental. But if, once we understand them, we can understand the laws that govern them. I always say that one mystery is eventually solved and we go on to the next mystery. We make history out of our ministries and go on to the next mystery. But I think that, uh, you know, we know that information uh, is stored and transported on electromagnetic waves, wave particles of light, quantums of light, photons. So we know that. We, all of our telecommunication is done that way today. All of our, and now in the future, as of Calgary recently, one of my students in Calgary uh, made a discovery on, on how to do entanglement across the world. So they're able to do quantum entanglement and have information simultaneously around the world, not just at the speed of light, but instantaneously. So we're going to be definitely having a new field of technology in the next decades come with where we'll have instantaneous information, not even at one fourteenth of a second halfway across the world, but literally instantaneous communication, sir. I love it. And I think that uh, really does give rise to this whole collective consciousness and the, the transcendence of wisdom and a whole range of other remarkable things that you're incredibly well versed in. John, before we do wrap it up, is, is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? Any, any final words or any, any last piece of advice or a message you'd like to leave with them? Yeah, because uh, many times, because people have been subordinating to mothers, fathers, preachers, teachers, collective groups and larger collective groups and be focused on the herd instinct, trying to please people and losing themselves in the, in the opportunity of doing that. As the great philosopher said, I'd rather have the whole world against me than my own soul. Um, the person who stands strong and convicted and called by the mission and vision and inspiration of their highest value 
automatically transcends the outer world and becomes an unborrowed visionary that contributes new and novel, innovative, creative, ingenious new things for the world and leave their legacies on the planet. So I tell people, give themselves permission to live authentically according to what they really value and what they're spontaneously inspired from within to act upon and figure out a way of doing it in such a way that it serves people to earn the income to delegate anything less than that away so they can free themselves to live an inspired life, not a death-fired one. John, I, I thank you so much. I really do have a, a special place in my heart for you. I've got a lot of love and a, and a huge amount of appreciation for all the wisdom and the impact you've had, not just in my life, but in my um, parents' lives and in the, our community's lives. You really have touched the, the hearts and minds of, of many people out there, including myself. So, John, I'm extremely grateful for your time, and I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to share your message through this podcast. So thank you so much for uh, being here today and sharing your wisdom with all of our listeners. It's been a real pleasure. No, thank you. I appreciate it. It's great to, to have our chat again. I look forward to seeing you when I'm back in Australia. Indeed. So, as always, if you'd like to uh, hear any more uh, about uh, this author or any of the other authors, be sure to check out elevatebooks.com forward slash author. And I really want to um, thank you once again for your time. And always remember that giving yourself permission to do what you love, that really is the key to elevating all areas of your life. Until we meet again, share your light, live your love, and do whatever it takes to be your own best friend. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Elevate Podcast, the fastest way to elevate your life. For more information, visit www.elevatebooks.com.